0: Welcome to Two Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie VT is coming off of a bye. I am coming off of my honeymoon. I'm refreshed and recharged, ready for the final five games of the season. How are you
1: feeling, man? I'm feeling good. I'm uh, I'm I'm ready. It was uh, it was good. We got through it without you, but uh, you know, sometimes it's always nice to kind of get back to your normal. Your normal groove. I'll tell you that much.
0: I know at this point in the season, you and I uh, really tend to lean on each other because some weeks are harder with work than others. And so well, some of us are trying to get our notes together and the other one picks up the slack. And, and I know that's tough when you're bringing in someone new. And I did want to start by thanking Devin because I really appreciate him coming on and filling in for me. He did awesome. I listened to both podcasts while I was away and he really did a great job. And his energy and his He honestly knows the program more intimately than even you or I do, uh, and more intimately than a lot of people do, being born and raised in Blacksburg and just going to so many games over the years and still going to the games this season. So it was great to have his perspective, and I I really thank him. I'm sure he's appreciating not doing it this
1: week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it it can be taxing during the season, and... Work does not stop for the podcast, unfortunately, uh, and uh, that can make it that can make it difficult. But we're we're rolling, and we didn't miss any weeks, so we are. I think we're still perfect for uh, for five seasons, uh, at least at this point.
0: It's true, man. I, I was looking today. There are ten Virginia Tech football centric podcasts out there that you can listen to. Uh, ten, including ours. There might be more that I don't even know about, and so. If you're listening to our podcast, we appreciate it cuz there's a lot of competition for your eardrums <laughs> right now in terms of hockey football podcasting and and we have been the only podcast to record a preview and a recap to every game since 2015. The only one out there. That's no disrespect to the other ones out there. There are some that are really good um and I you know, it's cool that so many people want to talk Virginia Tech football. It's great. Uh, but we've been here since 2015, and hopefully you're still sticking with us. Robbie, why don't you give us a cheers and get us kicked off right?
1: So I will give a um, a cheers, why not to, to that? I mean, that's uh, that's a pretty amazing stat, um, and we'll do a cheers to just the consistency of the podcast. You know, you and I early on, I don't know if we've ever talked about it much on here. I used to listen to Solid Verbal, and I know you did as well, and they used to always just say, just keep hitting record. That was that was always their kind of like suggestion for podcasters and how they kind of got their popularity was consistency is key. Uh, if you're trying to build a follower base, because other people have lives too, so you know they they start to build their listening habits around us um, and when we're going to be a, be available. So you know if one doesn't come out that week, then you know people are you know, bummed or if it's delayed, then they, you know, they normally listen to it, you know, at some certain point in their week. So um pretty amazing that we've been going at it this long. So cheers to that.
0: Cheers, man. Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking about podcasts this week and the college football podcasts I listen to really haven't changed much over the years. And speaking of solid verbal, this week in particular, I did download their recap from last week because Ty is such a big Notre Dame fan. I wanted to hear what he had to say about the game. And, and I, I'll probably do them about half the weeks, but I pretty much stick with the same ones. So getting a new podcast out there... And me going and searching for a new podcast and insert in my rotation doesn't happen too often. So you're absolutely right. The consistency in already being in people's subscription feeds is valuable. Uh, yeah. For us, um, not that we're in it to make money or anything like that. We just, hey, no one wants to just
1: yell into the void.
0: <laughs> they want <laughs> someone to be listening, right?
1: Yeah, and probably over that you know long period of time, the only thing, the only change that I've made to my podcast listening habits is I dropped solid verbal. Um, just, I, I, I love those guys though, but it was always more entertainment and less content. If they, if you know what I mean. Um, and some people might say that about us and I I don't know, but (laughs) that's just kind of my view at a national level. It's hard to be in tune with that many different programs. So I dropped them. And because of, you bringing them up, I added the Cover Three podcast, but that's really the only change I've made over like years and years of listening to podcasts. So it's true, you kind of get into your rhythm and what you like, and you you stick with it.
0: Yeah, and if anyone knows of any really good college football podcasts on a national level that we're not listening to, you know, send it to us on Twitter because hey, I, we could always use another one. Uh, we listen to Cover Two, Cover Three. Uh, I like PAPN still, even though it's changed with Bill gone and i'm still listening to solid verbal like i said about half of the time
1: yeah and the audible i'd listen to because the audible yeah yeah, it gives me the because bruce feldman is a you know a true (laughs) kind of reporter guy for you know sideline he does you can see him at games when he does sideline interviews he had a funny one this past week when gary patterson lost his voice which was interesting to kind of hear you get a different um a different angle from them so I, I always add that in because it's more of a national perspective of football in general and less so about x's and o's and actual tangible things that are happening in games
0: all right let's hop into these news and notes i wanted to start with the ap poll lsu replaced alabama at number one that was a big storyline this week ohio state is number three clemson's number four Penn State, number five. Uh, Ninny Lions look real good. And next week, they're going to be playing 8-0 Minnesota, and they're 8-0 themselves. And I'm sure you saw the stuff with P.J. Fleck uh, pining for game day to come to Minnesota.
1: Yeah, they were trying, pushing hard for, for that to happen. And good for Minnesota. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I like to see underdog teams. Nobody saw that coming this season. And we can talk about their strength of schedule and how it's it's not been the greatest thus far but they're they're going to have a tough matchup against Penn State so we'll see if they're they're legit but i do like to see programs get off to a good start especially ones that minnesota they're not off the radar but they're certainly not you know top of mind going into most seasons
0: yeah it's been a while since marion barber the 3rd Um, and that other string of running backs they had there uh, for a little while. Maybe that was under Jerry Kill or maybe the coach before. I'm not exactly sure. But, yeah, every couple years they'll pop up and be relevant, and and they're just as relevant as ever right now. And everything he said in that presser was absolutely true. Like, you can go to LSU and Alabama, like, any year you want. uh, You don't often get a chance to go somewhere that you've never been. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'd be rooting for – it's tough to say with my family ties, but I just love to see the chaos, so I'm kind of rooting for Minnesota to to upset Penn State there.
1: That's a win-win for me. I I don't care either way. Other one, it would be cool to see Minnesota do do well and get a win there. Two, I want that matchup against Penn State to have as much as much heat on it next year as as possible. And ah, if they do okay. well this year, um they bring back, if I'm not mistaken, they bring back a lot next year too. Uh, so there is, there's a good chance that that could be a, a nice matchup in week two and be something that would be, uh, get a lot of hype around it.
0: Moving on to more pertinent information to us, Notre Dame number 16 in that AP poll and Wake Forest, our opponent after Notre Dame number 23. The only two ACC teams ranked are Clemson and Wake Forest. So, uh. Someone from the coastal hopefully will pop up and and get into those rankings in the next couple weeks, but but I don't know with the way we're all beating each other, we will have our chance if we were to beat Notre Dame to get into those rankings. But we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. The injuries, Hooker seems probable for this week, which is a very good thing. Same for Keyshawn King. Uh, on D, Bud Foster indicated that Crawford will play at defensive tackle. Farley has cleared concussion protocol, and Tisdale should be a full go. Defense pretty much at full strength there. LaCita Smith, he's questionable. I wouldn't expect him to start. Cannon's probably going to play most of the snaps at left guard again. He did well. Obviously, in in the UNC game, he played well. Halston, he seems like he's still out, but he could be back in a week or two. I don't know how important that's going to be, um, but nevertheless, I'm happy to hear he's getting healthy.
1: Yeah, I missed some news over the last 24 hours I've been off the grid, just work-wise. So what I saw from uh, the press release, or not the presser, the presser is what I should have said, that Fuente went as far as to say that Hooker's out there and he looks good. So it's not one of those things where he hasn't been seeing the field. So it sounded as though, from what I heard, that he's, he's actually playing right now and practicing. So... Uh, you know for fuente and how reserved he usually is about these things i think that's a really good sign if he's going to go that far as to say that he's out on the field and he's playing playing pretty well
0: yeah that's a good point
1: the pickem winners this is something that you slacked on the last
0: couple of weeks i heard you on the last one say it. uh in week 6 dakota bannon had 13 correct that's the most of anyone's had in any week and that was actually a very high scoring week overall there was like 20 people, including me and you, that got 10 or more in week six. In week seven, we had three guys tied for first with 10. That was Jason, Owen, and Jack. And in week eight last week, Andrew Mann was all alone in first with 10 correct. That was actually a pretty hard week to pick well. You had your worst
1: week. It was a bloodbath for a lot of people. Um, and I don't think it was that surprising, just given the outcome of some of the games in I'm trying to remember some what we had to pick versus what the upsets were, but if you look yeah. at Oklahoma, it, I don't know anybody that probably you know had that. Um, and it, it it was crazy. It was a crazy week. You had the TCU game um, and with Texas going down, it, there was just a lot that happened.
0: Yeah, it was it was a crazy week, especially in the Big Twelve. Like all the teams that were ranked and played lost. Baylor did not play much to their benefit. Yeah. Uh, I think so it's, uh, it's still, you know, it hasn't been as many upsets this year. I think as we normally see that that's, that's a little tough to say because now we're in the real meat of it. But, uh, just last week we started to see that, you know, that factor go up that upset factor, and maybe we'll see it continue into this week. And we got the first college football playoff rankings coming out next Tuesday, not, tonight but next tuesday
1: yeah and i would, I would expect actually I, I don't know what i'll expect i i'm gonna be really interested to see how the committee if everything goes relatively chalk mm-hmm. this week obviously that that's needs to be taken into account but i'll see i can't imagine that they don't put lsu as number one and that they i think they deserve to be i mean their their schedule has been you know tough and they've played well I want to get into my reaction
0: to the uh, UNC game just a little bit. We won't spend too much time on it, but before we do that, I, just on that note, who would be your number 1 right now?
1: LSU. Oh, yeah, it's not even. Uh, I think LSU, the only the only team that I would even kind of wager a thought to put ahead of them would be Ohio State. And that's just because they they're continuing to dismantle people. They have I heard this stat on the Audible today, which is mind blowing. They have they did a uh, a poll for all the people uh, at the, a- the Athletic uh, on the Heisman candidates. Ohio State had three of the top six. <laughs> three of the top That's six yeah. were Ohio State players. That would
0: be Fields, Dobbins, what? and uh, the defensive end.
1: Yes, who had he? He's leading the nation in sacks. He's dismantling people. So. Uh, but yeah, they have uh three of the top six. So I could I could make a case for Ohio State, but with who they've played and how they've been playing, LSU has to be it for, for me right now. And that'll end yeah, up I'm, taking I'm, care of itself. I, I
0: can't I can't come up with the name right now of, of who that defensive end, but uh, Bruce Feldman just wrote an article on him, and yeah, he's he's been pretty unstoppable. I think I would put Ohio State at number one. I, I it's it's tough to argue with what LSU has done but they've been down and had to come back and win games like Ohio State hasn't even been close so now the competition might not be as good but it's a coin flip I, I think those two teams look like the two best right now Clemson and Bama are really good too if you put any of them first like you could make an argument yeah. all right so with regard to the UNC game I just wanted to say a few things just because it was so historic. And I thought leaving for two weeks for the URI recap and a UNC preview wouldn't be such a big deal because there was a bye week after UNC and whatever. Turns out it was the longest game in ACC history. uh, Something that's never happened before the six overtimes and the, the two point conversion uh, shootout essentially it was crazy and i'm i'm like kind of annoyed that i missed that you know to do the recap of that cuz it was just so epic and awesome and number one just the resilience of the team it, being down 10 nothing losing the starter <clears throat> losing the starting qb being down in overtime it was just fight after fight after fight and it was just awesome to watch
1: yeah, it was um, it was pretty incredible, and there were individual plays in that game that we hit on during the recap that were pretty amazing. Uh, Quincy Patterson in, in that game with that pass on that fourth down and three, and then Hazleton to make the one handed catch is going to be uh, yeah. remembered for a, for a long time. You gotta have some serious. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I won't put what, what I th- what I'm thinking in into words because it's not, not appropriate, but you gotta have some cojones, let's put it that way, to make that pass. And he did.
0: Yeah, and and the run down down this field, like that was just shades of Logan Thomas in the Miami game. Just like we had just gone down a score and it was like ah man now now we're down a touchdown and we have our backup in he can't throw very well and he just like busts right through the gut like all the way down the field it was it was so awesome like it was just such a cool play and Lane was going absolutely nuts and that was the coolest thing about it is because didn't it remind you of those old classic matchups in Lane you know in the in the mid two thousands even as recent as twenty eleven. Just the crowd going completely nuts. It just had a feel. Um, and a feel you you only get really from that 3.30 slot when it goes from afternoon sun into dusk and the stadium starts to get louder and louder and louder. It was just awesome to watch.
1: Yeah, and it's dark by the time the game is over. Also, that's because the game went so long. But <laughs> yeah. you, you get a feel. And re-watching it, I got that same feel, which is like I started the game. I'm like, man, it's so bright. And then, because I have these vivid memories of how the game ended when it was dark outside and the, the whole stadium transforms over the course of the game. It's incredible.
0: It, it felt big time and it felt like old times and I just loved it. Uh, the turnovers were still troubling. You know, we had the three fumbles, two of which were lost. And that's something that's going to come up when we get into the Notre Dame preview. But it's hard to say anything else really negative about the game. I know the defense could have played better and I know the play calling here or there. Uh, Devin kind of said it was too aggressive. Other people said it was too scared. Uh, So whatever, that's kind of a wash. It was so, it was just such a great performance by so many individual players. McLeese has stepped up over the last four games. He's got 355 yards and 6.3 yards per carry in a four game span. Hazleton is, when he's healthy and not dropping passes he is such a stud just an absolute stud 10 catches on the year five are touchdowns
1: yeah it's he is as clutch as they come and uh yeah and it was only a couple situations where he started having some drop passes but when you need him in a situation like that whether it's the fade route uh, for a touchdown that he had you know any number of them have been pretty incredible and he's a he's a really a solid talent force
0: Hooker and QP in combination have exceeded my expectations uh and probably most people's expectations by a wide margin i, I really quincy i did not expect to be able to run at will like he did. And that might be a detriment to UNC. Like maybe that's more on them because they knew we were going to be running and we just kept doing it to success. Um, But Hooker and his touch on the football, his decision-making in the read option game, he has been impressive, man. And I put out his QBR on Twitter today. Like the average of the three last QBs we've had um, in their game one, game two, and game three, and then I put out what Hooker's was, and Hooker exceeded it in the first two games and was right there in the third game. He's been very good. Like He he has been very good, and and QBR is a opponent-adjusted stat. So forget, oh, well, that's because, you know, Gerard Evans played Tennessee. No, it, it's supposed to be adjusted for the quality of team you play, and he exceeded it in the first two games and was right there with all three of our other quarterbacks who all had good starts to their career. Um, I kind of did that because Fuente's quarterbacks have a way of leveling out, and as as do most, once defenses get more film on you. Um, but right now, Hooker's in a position, if he's healthy, and it looks like he is, going into Notre Dame, poised for a very good performance against a defense that, while not any gaping holes, isn't as good as it normally
1: is. Yeah, and I think the I, – I like – you know, it it would I would almost be better knowing how good QP played to to not have film on him, but there's there's something to be said to have both of those guys available and at your disposal. And quite honestly, you still have Willis. Like if things go awry and we get into a Maryland situation where you know we start having to get deep, if if your fallback as your you know third string effectively is Willis. That's not a bad place to be in. In fact, it's a pretty enviable place when you look at, you know, a lot of these schools, you know, people were talking about Ohio State. If Fields gets hurt, what do they have behind it? Like a lot of these schools don't know what they have as in terms of backups because they've been they've been lucky and they've had healthy and they've gotten backups in 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 garbage time. But this wasn't not garbage time this was a critical six overtime game where you're putting a lot of pressure on a team and a lot of those places where we were down so you had to make plays and we couldn't afford to to you know leave the ball or turn it over on down so they they've been tested in games where it was close the willis point is interesting
0: because I had that written down him being passed over seemingly by QP it, it, that's what it looks like but he's going to be important just because Hooker has multiple nicks already uh, physically. His shoulder, his non-throwing shoulder, I think is nicked up. He obviously had the hyperextension in the knee, uh, which he's recovering from most recently. Uh, And then you're one hit away on Quincy from needing Willis to play. So all three of these quarterbacks are probably going to throw some footballs and and play some snaps before this season's over, and they're all going to be – decently important to us getting to bowl eligibility uh before i talk about that i did want to say defensively yeah we did give up a lot of points and yards but nine tackles for loss five sacks guys are continuing to improve ashby with 18 tackles in the unc game he's now 20th nationally in tackles per game uh winning acc linebacker of the week like every other week Pollard emerging at defensive tackle. He started at defensive tackle in place of Deshaun Crawford and what had two sacks. Kendricks and him have very bright futures and Fuente keeps mentioning Fuga, the third true freshman defensive tackle who hasn't played much, but the fact that Fuente keeps bringing him up like every other week on Tech Talk Live, uh, I feel great about that position going forward. I wish one or two of those guys could have redshirted, but this is where we are and pollard looks like a beast i i i tweeted out something about him too that that charlie wiles was all over him like when on signing day charlie wiles like didn't really tweet out anything except for about Norrell pollard so <laughs> it, it, he he loves that kid and he's going to be good hewitt stepped up three tackles for loss two and a half sacks in that game hunter and floyd interestingly swapped in and out at rover floyd kind of coming in at the end hunter getting the start not sure, sure who's going to start at Rover this week against Notre Dame, but I feel good if if, if Hunter has to go in place of Floyd.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that, and I think to your you know previous point, I think Pollard had a quote uh, during the press conference on Monday where somebody asked and said something about you know his size and how he's not a big guy, and I think he had a pretty funny quote. I'll, I'll butcher it now, but something like, "I don't care." Like. I'm a man when I come out there, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is just hilarious. It's like such a Corey Moore type quote. It's like, I don't care about size. It's like, stop me.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are certain guys that have that mentality. I remember in Moneyball, I don't know if you ever read that book, but they were talking about Lenny Dykstra. And so Steve Carlton's on the mound. And I think Billy Bean is talking to Lenny Dykstra in the dugout when they were players for the Mets. And he's like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit this guy tonight. This is what Bean is saying to Dykstra. And Dykstra's like, who is it? He's like, that's Steve Carlton. He's like, one of the best pitchers to ever pitch. And he's like, I'll stick him. <laughs> like, that's what Dykstra said. That's that mentality, and that's, it seems what Pollard has. Is It doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that guy. All right, so just to wrap up on Virginia Tech before we hop into Notre Dame, our ranks through seven games of the season. Depending on where you go, we're pretty much right down the middle of college football. s p Plus, 57th. The Kali Matrix, which is one of my personal favorites because it comes in with no bias and never has a bias throughout the year. Uh, there, we're 55th in that. That's actually our highest one of the ones I'm going to list. The Massey Composite, which compiles like 80 different rankings, we're 64th. And Sagarin actually has us the lowest at 71st. So that S&P plus that 57 to the 60 mark like that's probably that's probably right but half of that is without Henn and Hooker starting
1: yeah and that that's to your point about Willis and Hooker and, and QP I think QP it, it, it's I don't know how much it is that he surpassed Willis as being the backup as it is what this offense looks like when that run threat and we've talked about this multiple times and on the last few podcasts it just looks completely different it, it is it a totally different animal and QP adds that as, as well and has that skill set to to keep people honest and um, you know so I think I think it was probably a no-brainer to try and get him into the game as soon as they felt comfortable that he was going to be able to maybe not do everything and he doesn't have all the skills that hooker does, uh, at least not in passing right now, but it looks so much different with, um, with that threat.
0: Yeah. We are averaging 210 rushing yards per game since hooker took over starting duties. And if you've been following tech closely over the last three years, you know, that getting over that 200 mark in the rush game has not been easy for us. So the fact that, in these October games, which I know Rhode Island was one of them, but we ran really well against UNC and Miami too. So, it's it's been nice and I don't know where the confidence from McLeese has come from. I don't know if he just like is feeling better or if Hooker just gives him more confidence, but he looks like a different running back. Like he he just looks way different. His shiftiness is better. He looks quicker. Um, his blocking has been pretty good. I, I mean, it it's, it's been pretty remarkable and it's unfortunate that King was hurt. I, it's funny that Keen was taking carries at running back last game and, uh, even had a fumble, which, uh, you know, of course one day didn't bench Keen the way he would have benched King. And some of that's because you earn your stripes and Keene has obviously done that over the years, but it's hilarious that we have a tight end that was getting running back carries last week.
1: Yeah. And I think he's saying. <laughs> I think his quote at the at the press conference was something along the lines of you know I've been I've been saying to the coaches you know give me the ball I want to run it more I want to he said I never thought I would be an actual running back though like <laughs> <laughs> yeah he just wanted like some tight end jet sweeps like James Mitchell Yeah exactly he's like no he didn't think it was going to go that far to the the extreme but it it worked So
0: I was listening to some of those rankings the last two things I I wanted to put out there were that our strength of schedule is obviously on the weaker side. Uh, even though we've played four ACC games, the ACC is what it is this year, and the teams we've played aren't exactly the top teams of the ACC. In the College Matrix, we have the 135th toughest schedule. Yes, that means s- several FCS schedules are tougher than ours because there's only 130 teams in FBS. Uh, that we've played two FCS schools and our other out of conference game ODU, one in seven. Their only win is against Norfolk State. So I know ODU played us tough and they played UVA tough, but they're not a good football team. Uh, we are 55th, like I said in those rankings, but 135th SOS and Sagarin were 103rd. So that's a significant increase. But the, the moral of the story is the remainder of our season, our schedule strength. It essentially goes through the roof as to compared to what we've been playing.
1: Yeah. Relatively speaking, as I think you're alluding to it's yes. it, in comparison to what it has been. Yeah. With Notre Dame coming up, wake forest, people are still, you know, paying some love despite the injuries and what's been going on with UVA Pittsman. you know, outside of, you know, some, some, you know, f- bad footsteps here and, and there have, uh, have been pretty, pretty tough. So, it's I'll, I'll, that number. I'll be interested to see where it shakes out by the time we get to the last game of the season after we play UVA and it where it ends up. My guess is we probably creep up into you know the high 80s, low 90s, or something along those lines.
0: Uh, yeah, I'd say 80s somewhere in there, probably.
1: Yeah. So it'll it'll still, all said, be a relatively easy schedule, but you know we yeah. play the teams that you got ahead. Of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, like they predicted before the season, it's probably going to be the weakest schedule in Power 5. Like it, That's what it is currently. That's what it will probably end up being. But, hey, 5-2 and two right now. I After the first three, four games, did you think we'd be sitting at 5-2 and two right now?
1: No, and I know everybody listening to this is thinking, well, that's also because you played two FCS schools, but... It looked bad. And even in the BC game, you can look at that in two different ways. You can say, well, you know, it was within a touchdown. We still had a chance and we had five turnovers in that game. If you take those away, then you most likely win that game. Well, we still had five turnovers. So (laughs) it doesn't fully work that way because uh, it's those are self-inflicted wounds. I
0: think the biggest what if for people is what if Hennan Hooker had started against BC, right? Like where would we be six and one? Um, could we possibly be seven and L because he would have been in, more in a rhythm and then we could have beaten Duke too. But if he's playing, then you don't have the element of surprise at Miami and that game probably goes different. You know, it, you can't just change that. Plus Hennan Hooker, I think he would have come in in that BC game, but I think he was hurt. And he was only going to be used if Willis had been knocked out yeah. in that first week. Because I think he got hurt like right before the season mm-hmm. to his non-throwing shoulder. This is, you know, this I can't prove or disprove any of this. But I think the reason why we didn't see him in week one when Hooker or when Willis was sucking so bad is because he was banged up.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And a lot of people have have, have said that, and I don't think we'll ever until after the season's done and maybe Fuente and everybody's a little bit more honest about how the season transpired and what was happening, then we may find out what was, what was actually going on there, but he's not going to answer that question until the season's done. Yeah.
0: Let's take a quick beer break before we move on to Notre Dame. Robbie, what are you drinking over there?
1: So, like I said, crazy day so i didn't get to pick up a new beer that we haven't had on the podcast so i went back to what was easily accessible sorry to everybody but it's at the gas station um a few blocks from my house so they have the heavy she- heavy seas they there the citrus ipa so whenever i'm in a, a rush to get home and need to get a quick six pack that's what i go with it's a good beer and it's quite honestly the best that they got in stock there so that's kind of my default when I'm when I'm moving quick so
0: i enjoy the tropicannon quite a bit it's it's sweeter than most of those like orange or citrus is it a pale ale or ipa
1: it's an ipa yeah it's a citrus okay. ipa so it's uh i can't remember what the alcohol it's got blood orange in it grapefruit zest and other natural flavors, meaning they're probably not natural flavors, but uh, <laughs> otherwise they would list them out. Um, it's 7.25, so it's not oh, wow. too heavy. It's relatively balanced, and but yes, it is a little bit sweeter. If you don't like sweet IPAs, then you won't like it.
0: I am drinking the Reason Beer Prismism. The name of the brewery is Reason Beer. It's from Charlottesville, so boo, but... The beer is good. It's a double dry hopped IPA. I got this when visiting down in Richmond, picked it up from my buddy Nick and it's delicious. I don't really like the uh, double dry hopped IPAs too much, but this one it's light. It's only 5.5% alcohol, which I think is a little unusual. Normally they're, they're higher. So this is on the lighter side. Maybe that's why it suits me better and not, not too hoppy considering the double dry hop. It's, it's, it's just a good, even keel light IPA. I love it. Reason beer, prismism. I had never heard of this brewery, and I asked you beforehand. You hadn't heard of it either.
1: I haven't heard of it, so um, I'm familiar with most of them out of there, and are, have been there relatively local to us. But I haven't, I haven't heard that, or but I'll keep my eye out and see if I. Can I mean, get the Charlottesville
0: it. beer scene has blown up. I mean, they're, they're and just like everywhere else, it's just so many breweries. It's hard to keep up with all of them. Yeah, I agree. All right, Notre Dame, November 2nd, 2.30 p.m. on NBC. They are 5-2, and two, number 16 in the AP poll, as I said earlier. And this year, Notre Dame, they beat Louisville on opening weekend. They beat UVA because of a bunch of turnovers. And they beat USC in a very close game. Their two losses are to Georgia by one score in a game that we all were like, wow, Notre Dame, they might be back to, like, playoff caliber. And then – Last week, they went out and they got their doors blown off by Michigan, fourteen to forty-five. Robbie, did you see any of that game?
1: I started to watch it, and it was so horrific between the weather and the actual game that I had to turn it off uh, because I thought I thought Notre Dame was going to probably pull that one out. I picked them, um, but I think we've also come to learn that Georgia looks to be going probably nine and three this year. Most had them as a playoff contender doesn't look like that is going to be the well that's not going to be the case it looks like they could potentially have like a nine and three just normal season which would be down year for them especially with the amount of talent that they have
0: yeah they've got a big test this week it's the uh world's largest outdoor cocktail party right yeah it's
1: florida yeah we're, we're, we're not supposed to the the running joke is you're not supposed to say that, but uh, because uh, oh the, is the, that right? Yeah, the SEC. I think it's the SEC. Then they get all they get all mad because it's you know talking about drinking. You didn't mention that big win over Bowling Green and Scott Loeffler. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and uh, Brian Van Gorder's defense, which I think every Notre Dame backup got in in that game, and still continued to decimate Bowling Green.
1: <laughs> yeah, I Van Van Gorder is. I don't know how he keeps getting hired. Like he, he has uh, he has one of the worst reputations among like the national media in terms of coaching and
0: I mean every he's the butt of every joke uh, yeah when it comes to defensive coordinators.
1: Yeah, it's like him and then like Matt Canada are like the two names that I hear like the most uh, like, what are you doing hiring this person type situations? Now, Canada got put in a tough spot and didn't get to play call the plays that he wanted to when he yeah. uh, went into, what, uh, Georgia? My
0: my thing with Canada, though, is, and, and I think this is one of the reasons he gets made fun of, when he was with Pitt, he had James Conner. And I don't think he's a good offensive coordinator because before that, he was with NC State. We beat them. They came to Blacksport on a Friday night. His his offense, it's, it's a little funky. But then he had James Conner. They beat Clemson that year, uh, and and looked good. And it's like, no, that that offense was good because of James Conner and not because of anything else. <laughs> <I> t- <laughs> and not because of Matt Canada. And then he goes to LSU, and and Orgeron didn't like him. And yeah, I, I agree with you though. You do hear a lot about those two different guys.
1: Yeah, sorry, it was LSU. I said Georgia. You're right.
0: But yeah, the the Michigan game for Notre Dame this past weekend, I, I've heard it kind of said two different ways that you know Notre Dame didn't show up. That's what. Herb Street kind of was saying, but I, I was listening to the cover three guys and they, and they were like, no, Michigan just beat them like we should be giving Michigan more credit than Notre Dame not showing up, especially considering like the weather factor and everything else. And so however you want to slice it, teams have bad games and for Notre Dame this was a very, very bad game. It could be likened to our Duke game. Right. We, we probably want to wipe that from the record. They probably want to wipe this from the record.
1: Yeah. it's And Notre Dame had another one of these games. What was it? When, remember when we had the hurricane game? They played that same day against. Oh, yeah. They played against NC State that NC day. NC yes. State. And it was sloppy. Like, just bad. Like, Notre Dame does not set up well for this type of bad weather, tough environment game. At least at this point, and And where they're at today. Yeah. Uh, whereas if if you were to pick the type of weather that Harbaugh wants to play in, it was it would be this. Like <laughs> it, it just sets up so perfectly for him and what he's trying to do, and their defense. And I, it, once you, you saw the weather forecast, I wish I put a late bet in. You just knew it was just it, there was no chance that Notre Dame was really going to be able to do it. It's not that that they are not set up the same way that a Michigan team is for for that kind of situation.
0: I also think that where you get teams in a certain spot in the season makes a huge difference cuz think about where Michigan caught Wisconsin. The absolute worst time to play Wisconsin. Wisconsin was so hot. And I know Michigan wasn't technically hot, but they stayed very close with Penn State the week before. They beat Iowa a couple of weeks before that. They had started to improve and were ready for a breakout game. And it just so happened to come against Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and playing these streaks of like when a team's hot, when a team's cold, it matters for your season. Cause if, if Michigan played Wisconsin tomorrow, that game is way different. Like it's just like completely different. So, uh, I'm not trying to just like, hey, you know, Notre Dame must suck because Michigan, a mediocre team, kicked their butt. Eh, Not so much. Notre Dame is a lot of talent. They're going to be at home now. And the weather, as far as I can tell, looking at it, it it looks okay. So I'm I'm pretty much just as nervous as I was before the game because of the anger factor that Notre Dame now has because they just got their pants pulled down on national television. They're going to be pissed off. And so, however bad you think they are because of that, the pissed off factor kind of cancels it out,
1: yeah, and you know one other kind of just higher level news and note on them is that their wide receiver, Michael Young, hit the transfer portal, so we're not the only team affected this. he hadn't done anything this year, but you know he was somebody that I think they had a lot of hopes for i You hope that the If you can make it through the initial punches of these kind of these anger games, that's that's the key because the emotions start to it just turns into football once you get like halfway or like the early part of the second quarter. It's really the beginning where like serious damage can be done. So I totally agree with you. It is a bad spot to catch this Notre Dame team for Virginia Tech. So you just got to withstand the haymakers right off the bat.
0: I'm so glad you said that. Cause I'm totally with you on that. Like they're going to come out. They're going to be fired up. If you can keep it within a score within 10 points through the first half or something, and whether that initial couple of blows, we will have a chance later in the game. Don't get down by 20, you know, don't get down by three scores, keep it close and then give us a chance in the third and fourth quarter. That That's what I would say. And we'll we'll get more into that once we go through the positions. And let's start with Ian Book and the offense. Ian Book has not been as good as last year. You look across the board at his numbers, whether it's completion percentage down 10%, uh, yards per attempt, it's down almost a full yard, uh, passer rating down almost 10 points, his QBR is down. He's just not as good this year. And I think a major reason why, doesn't have Dexter Williams at running back.
1: Yeah,
0: Miles Boykin, an even bigger reason. And then Alizé Mack, the safety net at tight end. All three of those guys are gone. And and Boykin's probably the biggest one. He went off last year against us. Dexter Williams went off. Alizé Mack had 40 yards. If you took those three guys who are all gone, they had over 300 yards in Blacksburg last year. So let's be very happy that those guys are gone. But Ian Book doesn't have the tools he had last year.
1: Yeah, he doesn't have the tools. He's only completing fifty nine percent on the year, averaging seven point six. I will say to his benefit, though, you know, he has fifteen touchdowns passing to only two interceptions. So he's not he's not doing considerable damage. It just isn't what it was last year with the tools that yeah, he. He's had still around. very
0: good. Yeah, we should make that clear. He's still very good, but he was just at such a high clip last year. That's why they went to the playoff.
1: Yeah. And he's the second leading rusher on the team with 201 yards on 55 carries and another three rushing touchdowns. So even this down season, he he has not measured up to what they did last year and what's you know one of the key reasons of of like you said them getting to the playoff. But there is there was there was even discussion after the Michigan game about whether there's a QB controversy like for, for them. No, it's Ian book no. and he, he gives them the best chance to win. And honestly, he may not be doing a ton to help them win every game, but he's also not the one doing the majority of damage for them losing, you know, some of these games and in particular, the Michigan game, I, what was he going to do? I mean, he, he's not a true run threat. Um, so, you know, he went eight for 25 in absolutely horrific weather for 75 yards and guess what? That's probably to be expected in that type of game.
0: Yeah, and and Bud, I think said he was a little quick to pull the ball down. Well, yeah, it was <laughs> it was pouring down rain, um, and he still had twenty five pass attempts. But I, book scares me, and the running ability, it's not, it's not Lamar Jackson, but it's he's quick. I mean, yeah. he 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 provides a threat, and they're they're running backs aren't as deep. Like they losing Dexter Williams, that he's an NFL caliber back. Um Tony Jones Jr. is a senior, five eleven, two twenty. He's a good running back. And he he was a little nicked up last game too, but he's gonna play. He's averaging six and a half yards a carry. Uh he has eight receptions out of the backfield, over six hundred total yards. Like he's a he's a good player. Like that that's a very good running back. And if they get him going, it will cause us more problems. That's That's where I think our defense really needs to focus is like shut down the run and then move on to the focus against Claypool and Fink and, of course, the tight end, Komet.
1: I don't have his... So he's got, what, you said 571 yards on the year. There are two losses right, that they had. In the Michigan game, he had eight carries for 14 yards. In the Georgia game, he had nine carries for 21 yards. So if you take those two out... I mean, his his yards per attempt are through the... It's pretty obvious what this Notre Dame team needs to win, and that's him to have a, a good game. That he so you're is,
0: saying against the two good defenses they played, though, like he didn't
1: play very well. That's exactly right. And so I think more than anything that this game is going to hinge on his production um, because they've, they've won comfortably when he comes out and does what he, he, he needs to do. That's you know, in, in four games, if I have my math right, um, that's, or in, in five games, I guess I should say, you know, that's over 500 yards. So he's, he's averaging about a hundred a game, except in their two losses against, you know, two good defenses.
0: Their offensive line is 42nd in tackles for loss and 38th in sacks. So right about at the third percentile mark of, uh, of FBS it's not a great offensive line like they've had in the past and they just lost their right guard Kramer to an injury but Ruland last year filled in at right guard and he's going to fill in again this year he's he's an experienced backup is the point so their offensive line not overly impressive but it still could be the best one we faced this year like we haven't faced BC's offensive line was good I but they were young I I don't know. It's probably about the same, maybe a little bit better, but it's a decent offensive line. We, we've had the benefit of not going up against a lot of great offensive lines so far this year.
1: Yeah. And you know, the 11 sacks that they've given up. So there's, there's an opportunity for us to get some pressure, I think uh, on them, but you know, other than big play sacks, you know, they've been, they're going to be, yeah, like you said, probably number one or number two of the, of the offensive lines that we've, we faced up and, They've also put the ball on the ground, what, nine times? They've only lost four of them uh, in terms of turnovers, but definitely a little bit fumble-prone uh, uh, as a team as a whole. And then the wide, re- the wide receivers and tight ends are your stereotypical Notre Dame offense. When do you think about like, what they're, they're doing, Chase Claypool, who people are really high on them? 29 receptions for 436 yards and four tds and then in typical notre dame style two of their next four leading receivers are tight ends with uh comet uh and chris fink so you know we'll see what those guys end up doing but there's going to be some bigger bodies out there than um probably anybody that we've seen (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i have fink as a as a Slot receiver, but maybe okay. maybe I have that incorrect. I don't know. I I, I felt like Fink was the uh, like the five ten possession guy. Uh, you but you might it, be
1: right on. Oh, uh, I think I was just saying two of four. My notes were off. Two of four, I and you. then Cole Komet being you know one of those.
0: Yeah, Komet is he missed the first two games of the season. He still has almost three hundred yards and four touchdowns. He he is a big time threat that apparently Michigan was bracketing for most of the game last game and. Uh, it, it caused Ian Book all kinds of problems because that's his like his go to guy. Because Notre Dame, they always have good tight ends. It, it just every year they have a solid tight end. Last year it was Mac and Comet was starting to come up the ranks and now Comet's the guy. Before that, you know, you had to go back to Kyle Rudolph, like they always seem to have that guy that you can't stop, Jeff Samarja. Um I you look at the offense overall it's got good players, but without Boykin or Williams, the elite playmakers aren't really there. Claypool is good, uh, but he has some drop problems, and he's still, I don't know. he He's very good. He's just not elite, in my opinion. And so I think that's the difference between Notre Dame this year. They don't necessarily have that guy that can just get the first down every time on third down.
1: Yeah, I think it sets up... Well, one other note, and then I'll get to my thoughts on what you just said there. They also have a good kicker. Um, Dorier, I think, is the way it's pronounced. But he's 29 for, like, 29 on extra points and 6 for 7 on field goals. So I know that's special teams, but I always just loop it in with with offense. So they have have a pretty good kicker. Um, To your point, their offense sets up, depending on what Ian Book comes out and shows us on Saturday, sets up well for what i would call the stereotypical bud foster uh, defensive scheme which is make them one dimensional you know and stop the run force them to pass that is exactly what we could see here especially with what the the record's been for this team when tony jones jr has been limited in the in the run game now i say traditional because, you know, we'll have to see if we have, you know, the talent or, or around to, to make that happen. And, um, you know, hopefully Ashby and those guys can continue to, you know, build off of that UNC game and keep that um, that contain in there in general. But it, it sets up for what on paper looks like a good setup for, for Foster yeah. defense and whether we can produce that or not is what remains to be seen.
0: It's the tight end spot. And I think everything else is, is a distant second because look what Tommy Sweeney did in week one. Look what Brevin Jordan did at, in, the, in the Miami game. Like Cole Komet is the guy that we need to mark. Uh, this He's I, – I said he's not elite, but against our defense, he's the guy that's going to have opportunities. So Tisdale might need to be in coverage a lot in this game. And like I said, he's a full go. That is definitely good. Um, bringing a big guy like that down isn't the easiest for a skinny guy like Tisdale, but the coverage skills, uh, Chamari Connor, uh, Devin Hunter, or Reggie Floyd, like they're all going to have to have a piece of guarding the tight end spot in this game. Let's flip over to defense. Notre Dame's defense. They, they lost a lot and yet they're still very experienced this year. They're 38th in the S and P plus on defense. Also 38th in yards per play. They're 37th in opposing QB rating. So I think you, you get the idea of how good their defense is. It's, it's just inside the top 40 in pretty much every aspect. The thing that they stand out in is turnover margin. Uh, They are seventh in the nation in turnover margin. They're fourth in forced fumbles. And we are the sixth worst team in forced fumbles. So that is, that's something that scares me. I put that out as my disturbing stat of the week on Twitter. Um, hold on to the ball boys this is this is going to be a game where you need to hold on to the ball
1: yeah and the irish are always going to try and make it tough with solid kind of gap filling uh linebackers i mean th- that's another area that they always they always produce well uh, and that's likely it's going to really show us how much the run game if it has has really improved i think this is the game where we'll we'll see you know it's been against a couple teams where we were able to, to make hay because, you know, the sun was shining. But we, we I think at this point, we'll, we'll really find out how much that run threat from Hendon Hooker and or QP really changes the game. Yeah, uh,
0: the guy that scares me the most on the defense is O'Quara. He was so good last year when we played them. He's got six tackles for loss. Doesn't sound like a lot, but I think he, he gets a lot of double teams. He's got five sacks of those six tackles for loss, five more hurries, two forced fumbles. Julian O'Quarr at defensive end is a beast. Like he is, I fear him. Like that's the only guy I really fear. Jameer Jones, he's got four sacks in the last four games, so he has a right to be feared as well. But uh, overall the line, just it's not quite what it was without Tillery from last year. Uh, But it's still good, and it's still got a lot of veteran guys on it. Coney and Tranquil missing from the linebacking core. They're both in the NFL. Uh, that's very good for us. Uh, Bilal is good, but they also took a step back at linebacker, losing those two guys. Uh, their their secondary is arguably the strongest, just because they lost Julian Love, who was like a you know shutdown corner. But Elliot Gilman, Troy Pride Jr. They're all back, and then Hamilton, the freshman safety, or he might be a corner. He's six foot four. 210 so i don't know what he plays but he's got 24 tackles two pass breakups and two interceptions so even the young guys are stepping up on their secondary it's a solid defense what they're doing they're spreading the production around you notice that like none of these guys i think there's a guy with 44 tackles 43 tackles 43 tackles 42 like they're all kind of getting the same amount no one's got the 70 like ashby does for us yeah um And the same thing with the tackles for loss. It's six. It's five and a half. It's three and a half. It's five. They're spreading the production around, so no one's really standing out. What's they're all just really solid. That's what's happening.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the most (laughs) frightening signs of a a really good defense is when it can be that spread out and what that much production um, across the team as a whole. And you know, it does make me feel a little bit better that. About our our ability to generate some runs in this game. When I first was gonna, you know, do the preview for this, I was like, man, it's gonna be tough sledding. Uh, so I feel a little bit better that the secondary um, is is the elite position for them at least this year in terms of of production. But any way that you think about this, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough game uh, for the offense to really get production here. So we're gonna have to, if we have a shot at this, keep it relatively low scoring and it's really going to come down to um you know our ability to make really solid plays and to your point protect the football because they are they're forcing teams to cough it up pretty often
0: i mean that was the undoing for uva uva had a chance when they went into notre dame Mm -hmm. and they blew it because they kept turning the ball over if they don't that that's a very close game and maybe they pull out the win So that is absolutely key. It's key every week, but particularly on a team like this that's got some interceptions and got a lot of forced fumbles, be careful. I would say, overall thoughts, because they just got embarrassed, I am nervous, but I I have a comp, and it's when they went down to Miami in 2017. They were a top-10 team. They went on the road as favorites. Does this sound familiar to last week? (laughs) And they got smacked forty one to eight by Miami. The very next week they come home, they play a Navy team who went seven and six that year. They beat Navy by seven. It was tied going into the fourth quarter. They were twenty point favorites and they won by one touchdown. So I don't know if if that same thing's gonna happen, but it's the same coach. You know, it's it's a similar team in terms of quality. We're a similar team in terms of quality to that Navy team. We play a completely different style. But it's a good comp because they they literally just, you know, they should be so angry and just ready to to fight somebody. And when the last time it happened, they weren't able to respond the way they should have. So that makes me feel just a little bit better about our chances to win, but even better chances to cover.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Those are the the two... uh... Different points depending on how you're how you're looking at the game, uh, and I think the stat, it, it, VT right now is getting like a seven percent chance of of winning this game, uh, based on a couple of the stats that I had seen. We get to play the underdog role a little bit, even more so than I mean, really, we have all season. It's it's on the road. It's going to be a tough uh, environment. Brian Kelly's definitely going to have those guys fired up and and pissed off at least to, to start the game. So we just we got to weather the storm for the first two quarters, like you said. And if we can, and you can keep it within seven, then I'll be feeling pretty good going into the second half because that's when I think the emotions going to wear off. They'll start forgetting about the Michigan game, and it's going to be more about just play on the field and who executes better.
0: Yeah, speaking of that underdog role, well, I was gonna save the spread for a little bit later, but it's seventeen and a half. The last time we were this big of underdogs was against Alabama in 2013. So it's been a very long time since we've been seventeen and a half point underdogs. It was 14 against Miami or 13 and a half when it settled a couple weeks ago. But it's a big spread. And I think some of the reason for that is because people saw the result last week and they think it's gonna flip. And we obviously haven't been great, haven't played a a super tough schedule, but we are heating up. And I talked about when teams get hot and how that changes uh, how well you're perceived at the end of the season based on where you catch a team. And right now, Notre Dame isn't so hot. (laughs) So this could be a kind of a perfect storm. They have the best combination of offensive and defensive lines that we have faced you know Miami has a great defensive line. Their offensive line sucks. BC great offensive line, defensive line not as good as it normally is. This is a good combination, and that's that's where we have to win the game. I'm so happy Crawford is back because that that is going to be huge in this game. Uh, lacetus it's unfortunate we'll, we'll miss him, but I think Cannon isn't too big of a step down, and those guys seem to be getting better and playing better. With the run threat of Hooker at quarterback, so I think our lines are talented enough to hang with Notre Dame, but you're gonna have to have some big plays, and Hooker is going to have to play a very good game for us to win.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with that anymore. And it it'll come it'll come down to Hooker versus Ian Book, and if Ian Book is playing at a, a or has a really good night, this is going to be a very tough game. Uh, that's kind of how I would, and, and if Hooker has a, a really good night, it still could be a tough game. So, like, it's it really, you know, it, it probably, in my mind, falls back on um, as much what what Ian Booker are we going to see? Are we going to see the Georgia Ian Book? Are we going to see the Michigan Ian Book? Or are we going to yeah. see, you know, what his stats have been outside of all of those games and from last year. And that could be, that could be pretty critical, critical, I think for, for us. And it'll also answer some more questions for us about the improvement that we think we're seeing in the secondary and whether that's, that's real or if it's just fluky.
0: I think Notre Dame's going to put up some points. They're scoring 35.6 points per game. Can we keep up? I think is the question because we're gonna we're we're just gonna give up points. We, I I know that's gonna happen. I hope we can keep it to thirty five or less. I, 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 depending on how you look at the statistical makeup of each team, like they should score forty. But I think that we're playing well enough that we can prevent that. Since Hooker took over as a starter, we're averaging thirty nine point seven points per game not exactly <laughs> some of the quality of schedule that Notre Dame's face. I mean, yeah. they played USC and Louisville and UVA and Michigan and Georgia. So, uh, but 39.7 points per game is still pretty good. Yep. Will we see the pattering ram in this one? <laughs> <laughs> is that a nickname you like? What about I like thick that. Vic? Pe- people didn't like thick Vic too much.
1: They didn't think. like that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so, but whatever, whatever nickname you want to use for QP, I am interested to see what sets we see him in. Because yeah. I think regardless of whether Hooker leaves with an injury, I think we'll see him.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to be in this game in some capacity. I don't know what, but if for no other reason than just to try and mix it up and mix up looks for what what is a very good Notre Dame defense to try and um, level the playing field a bit. All right, so...
0: We're not going to pick the Virginia Tech game, but let's get into our other picks. There's a number of ACC games this week. NC State is going to Wake. This is Wake's last chance to lose before they play us. They are number 23, and they are seven and a half point favorites at home against an in-state rival. Robbie, who do you like in this game?
1: Uh, I I like Wake to win this game. I. Feel as though it's only true, co- or true chaos for uh, the ACC if NC State somehow pulls out a cover and like keeps this within three. That would just be, um, yeah, about as, as about as perfect as it's been this year. But I do think Wake's going to end up pulling out the game.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Wake wins, NC State covers. Next game, Miami at Florida State. This is the rivalry game. Florida State three and a half point favorites at home. I'll go first this time. I'm going for more ACC chaos. I'm going to take Miami to cover. I have no idea who's going to win the game. These games are always tight, though, so I'm going to take the points. Rob, who you got?
1: Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with Miami, yeah, actually, to 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 cover that. I had FSU, but I'm starting to think that Miami's probably going to keep this one close. FSU has... I guess we could say improved or improving, but um, that doesn't mean um, a whole lot. And it's a rivalry game; like you never know what's going to end up happening here. Yeah. Uh, it's probably. The I mean, they're bit.
0: both like flip-flopping their results. Like Miami beats Pitt, loses to Georgia Tech, loses to us, beats UVA, yeah. and then you got Florida State. They played a really tight game against Wake, lost, beat Syracuse somewhat convincingly. So it looks like they're on the trend up, but. ACC, the way it's been going, Miami just, you feel like they might win this game. Right, right. UVA at UNC. This is an important game for the Coastal. UNC, two and a half point favorites at home.
1: I'm going to take UVA. I got burned on taking UVA last week, so I'm going to go with um, UNC. And I'm assuming that the best thing for us in this game... Is for UNC to win, right? For the coastal. I don't,
0: I don't necessarily think it matters because okay. we have to beat UVA regardless. Either way, so they're both three and two. UVA has they lost to Louisville for one of their games, so one of their games is at a division. Yeah. UNC's losses are us and I can't remember who else, but essentially you want to you want to go up against the teams that have more coastal losses, so it. It could be beneficial for unc to win plus it's uva so we don't ever want them to win mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway moving on georgia at florida georgia's number eight they're going to number six florida and yet i've got uga as six and a half point favorites let me check that line because
1: that seems I feel like that has mo- surprising it's
0: moved around a little bit today uh
1: I mean, it's. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, if that line's more than two, then I would be blown away, especially at Florida. Um, I mean, most most people think Florida's the better team at this point, having seen. Yeah,
0: UGA. I'm I'm looking right now.
1: Says UGA minus six and a half. Oh well, then I'll take Florida. I mean, that's a no brainer. I I honestly think Florida's probably the better team just based on what I've seen so far, and it's at home.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna take Florida too. I mean, that line is is weird. And when they stink like that, you know, I like to go with the team at, <laughs> in the direction of which it stinks. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Florida has. I I keep doubting them, and then they they keep like punching me in the face. So I'm gonna go with Florida, and the the cocktail party is just like, it's just like Red River. Yeah. Like, it does not matter. It's a rivalry game played at a neutral site. It doesn't matter what the quality of the teams was. And the old joke of solid verbal friends again throughout the records. But it's, it's even more true in these games. Whatever you think is going to happen, you know, shove it in the trash because yeah. it, it does not matter. And the last game we're going to pick we're only going to pick five games tonight Oregon at USC. Oregon's number seven. USC is currently unranked. Oregon. Only four and a half point favorites, even though they're going up against an unranked team in USC.
1: USC's. US, Go ahead.
0: Yeah. No, they, they. Picking these games in the Coliseum, like Vegas makes it so difficult because they're like. They're locked in on USC. I, I swear. Like they spend more time on the USC lines than anything else. And they always seem to like pull one over on people. Uh, that line. It has USC written all over it. To me, I'm going to take USC.
1: Yeah, I, I do think I, I, USC has been getting a lot better. Um, I mean, they were a running joke to kick off the the season, and since then, they just keep they're winning games. I mean, they're they're playing well. Oregon, you basically have Oregon and Utah as the shot to get into the playoff. If Oregon drops this game, they're probably out of the playoff, and then it just rides on Utah to get the. Um, The pack into to the playoff, so I feel like Oregon's the more well-rounded team. But I tend to agree with you, and I'm going to go USC because, to your point, the lines have you know stunk like high hell for USC all season, but they always seem to be like spot on. Like they're just all over it,
0: especially at home. Yeah. Yeah, you. I think Oregon is that team. They're like the guy at the bar at one thirty who's like looking to get in a fight. Yeah. Like they don't just want to go home. Like yeah. they always make every game a fight. Mm-hmm. Like they like Washington State last week. They had a nice lead, and they should have lost, yeah. and and they didn't. Um, and and they did the same thing against Washington. Against like, Washington, yeah. Th- yeah, like that game. It was a four point game, and and I know Washington was favored and everything else, but they just love a fight. They did it with Cal. Uh, they kind of did it with Stanford. So. They haven't been able to put teams away. If Oregon's able to put USC away in the Coliseum, that would be very, very impressive to me. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to take USC.
1: And if Oregon wins, I mean, then they're, they're clear favorites unless barring something crazy to, to make the championship. And I think Utah is going to punch them in the face. <laughs> well, Utah,
0: they, if they can get there, they've got their hands full this weekend against Washington. Yeah. Um, we, we, that, that's another game in the pick em. I didn't put it on there just cause like one, I, I know you or I like picking Utah in a Washington game. Like I just have zero feel for how that's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't put it on the list. Maybe you, maybe you do. No. And we never but, get uh, to
1: see a lot of these games cause they're always yeah. so late. And by then I'm so worn out from everything that's already happened. I, I rarely, I am not one of those people that's able to stay up for, Pack twelve after dark. I can't do it. I'm too old. We're getting
0: an atypical Washington team this year too because their defense isn't as good as their offense. Yep. And they've they're a little young and so they've been wildly inconsistent. Like they beat USC by two touchdowns, but then they they've lost they, well, they lost a Cal yeah. in that crazy game. Um they've they've been a little all over the map, so i i think utah is gonna be in a little bit of trouble this weekend because they they haven't been as tested as much their their schedule's kind of weak but uh who knows all right that's gonna do it for the podcast uh how do you feel just in general about our chances to win the game like if you had to put a percentage on it or do you not want to do that
1: i mean i bet the cover i told you i bet the cover um and i did that early i mean i my bet was sunday night so i don't even have kind of I didn't even the the pressure on whether Hendon <laughs> Hooker was okay hadn't even like happened yet. So I was going. You didn't so even I, care who the starter yeah, was. Yeah, I didn't care. <laughs> well, I mean, Quincy looked good. So if that was going to be you know the, what we were putting out on the field, I still felt good about it. Um, I'd put our chances at winning this game, honestly, at like twenty percent. And that's probably like, I mean, that's probably high. I mean, like I said, I think well, it's that, higher than yeah, FPI. Has I don't think seven. that's yeah, very fair. So, um, I would say, I would say, I would say 20% is probably, it's a, it's a road game. Last time we were there and we played them, we beat them on the road. That's another factor that you and I didn't talk about was, I know they came back and they, they punched us in the, in the mouth at home, but Last time we were in South Bend, we we got that W. So, um for anybody that's was around during that time, um uh, that's probably going to be top of mind as well. So, it's a, and it's an important win for them. That Michigan game is that has that has lingering effects for that program cuz they don't play again until 2033. I think it is. Think about that. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right. So the bragging rights exist for the next 14 years for Michigan. So, um, And that's not like, hey, we beat you by three bragging rights. That's like every time you guys talk to each other, it's like, hey, remember when we absolutely curb stomped you? Uh, And so uh, I think that is going to lead to uh, some issues for us. I also, the reason I'm higher with the percentage is... Brian Kelly, and I know he has calmed down over the years and he's talked a lot about like, you know, his ability to get his anger under, but he's still a hothead. And yeah, I'm just still purple face. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just not one of those people that really thinks, you know, whatever he ended up saying in the, in, in practice this week actually helps the players become cohesive. I'm just not one of those people that like screaming is going to get the most out of people. So if, if that's what i would suspect happened during this week i i think that that one is very temporary in a game and it fatigues very quickly and then it just turns into football talent how you execute and it doesn't last more than you know more than a little bit more than a quarter
0: i'm trying to think about how notre dame seasons have gone and as you say that because he isn't that coach that is quick to write the ship. You know, he is a, hey, if they're doing well and they're on cruise control, he will keep that thing at a consistent level like they did last year, like they did in 2012. But in 2016, they went four and eight and the thing capsized. Yeah. And what the year I just mentioned, 2017, they're number three or yeah, number three, I think, when they go down to Miami or maybe Miami was number three. Either way, they're top 10 and they lose. They didn't play good against Navy and the very next week after that they lost to Stanford. Like and it took them in like till the bowl game to kind of get back to a decent level. He is not that guy who in that next week of practice things necessarily change drastically. He hasn't been. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen this time. Uh but I think that bodes well. I think Notre Dame the the chinks in the armor have all, all, they're all out there for everyone to see. And so whether or not they have enough tape on Henn and Hooker to defend us well enough that we don't have a chance, I I, I kind of don't think so. I think it's still new enough that we're going to go out there, we're going to put up our points, we're going to cover the spread, and then we're going to have a chance. I, I think we're going to have a chance. Now, I don't want to say I think we're going to win or anything like that because I, I my prognostications have not been good. So I don't want to put that jinx on this team. But I think we'll, we will have a chance, and I and man, if if the tech if tech was able to do it and go there and pull off that victory in this crazy season and be six and two, that would be nuts, and and maybe even be in those first playoff rankings. That, that's a little bit of a long shot, but that's it would be a conversation. And think about that. I mean, that would be unreal. And they do, as of right now, we both think they're going to keep it close.
1: Yeah. No, I I agree. Right. And if they they don't keep it close, it's gonna be because it gets ugly very early in the game. Yes. And yes. so I th- I think most people will be if you're if you're valuing your Saturday, you're gonna know within the first half huh. what's uh I don't think you're gonna have to wait for the second half to figure out what's gonna happen here.
0: Yeah, man, I'm with you. All right, that's gonna do it. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, Instagram at 2DVT. I put out there last week when I was in Hawaii, I found a Hokies bar. and Yeah, that was it sweet. Was, it, dude, I walked in, I saw the flag, and I was just like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even know that it was when I walked in there. And I was mad because we weren't in Kauai when we played the UNC game. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been able to find that place and go there and watch it there. As it was... I found a bar that opened at 9 a.m. because the game came on at 9:30 Hawaii time, and uh, my wife came with me. God bless her, and she had like four Bloody Marys. She was happy as a, <laughs> as a pig, and you know what? And uh, I had a, a, a couple of beers and a mai tai, and I was loving life in that sixth overtime. Man, I love it. It's uh, two vt at gmail.com if you want to email us anything, and. I guess last but not least, find us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, find us among all the other Hokies podcasts. You can type in Hokies. You can type in Virginia Tech. We will pop up uh, one of the first podcasts you'll see there, Two D Hokies Under the Influence. And until next time, when we're hopefully celebrating a big upset victory over the Irish, go Hokies.